take out your swords and sharpen them up. Turn to the seventh chapter of Matthew's gospel. You can kind of imagine as Jesus continues the Sermon on the Mount, and as he speaks to this crowd that's gathered around, it's almost as if he goes from one subject and that subject leads to another subject and it leads to a another subject which leads to another subject which if you follow the train of thought you can almost see yourself asking the basic questions that causes the Lord in essence to respond the way he does and so now as we come to the seventh chapter and we're going to pick the first six verses tonight uh, a subject that unfortunately is probably near and dear to most of us I'm sure it was just as big a deal then as it is now. And it's one of those critical things that I think the church has struggled with for most of its existence. And I know that most of humankind struggles with. And that's judging other people. Having a judgmental spirit, a judgmental heart, a heart that seeks to determine not so much what someone has done or someone has said, but why they've done it and why they've said it. And their judgment does not come from the facts. It comes from what they perceive the motivation is behind the facts. It's having a judgmental spirit, a judgmental heart. And it is so monumentally dangerous. And Jesus, in these six verses, is going to give us, uh, in verse 6, what I believe is one of the most difficult uh, of all of the sayings that Jesus utters during the Sermon on the Mount. Because it's almost as if he's saying, well, don't even bother sharing the gospel with somebody. They're so far gone. And yet at the same time, we've already seen him continually say, strive with, go another mile, turn the other cheek, give people a second, a third, a fourth chance. Matter of fact, when Peter says, how many times should I forgive? Well, 70 times seven. So we know that at the heart of this, Jesus is not saying that we're supposed to ignore fact. He's not saying that it's wrong to examine the fruit of someone's life. And so as he begins now to to speak these words, you can imagine with fairly rapt attention as the disciples, those gathered on the the hill that, uh, that day, as they began to hear these words, he's been talking about being hypocritical. And now almost the capstone as he's talking to those who have a problem with being actors. They're they're not genuine. And I want to really be careful because I don't want anybody to be discouraged tonight. I want you to be encouraged. But I also want you to realize that this is probably one of the greatest dangers that we face in the body of Christ relationally with each other. Because it is really easy to pick up a judgmental spirit and a judgmental attitude and a judgmental heart and, in essence, set yourself up for a real failure. 
If you want a key to a healthy marriage, listen well. If you want a key to biblical parenting, listen well. If you want a key to restoring relationships with anybody, anytime, place, listen well. If you want to know one of the key things that can destroy your relationships with other people, it's possessing a judgmental heart. So I ask you some questions. Do you struggle with judging other people? Do you want to be in the judge's seat on judgment day? Would you prefer that God does that? Or would you prefer that humankind does that? Those are simple questions. But they're very profound questions. And the answers to them Jesus is going to say, not Jeff, Jesus is going, the answers to those questions are found in your perception of yourself. How you view yourself, how you look at your own life. Because most of the time when people possess a judgmental spirit, it's because they have a wrong view of themselves. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us. Heavenly Father, Lord of heaven and earth, one true God, blessed Savior, amazing King, great I am, a wonderful counselor. We pray that you'd speak to us through the power of your spirit as we read your word. Lord, would instruct us from heaven. Bless us as your people, as your children tonight. God, as we gather around sitting in the living room of your home, Lord, would we as your kids hear from Abba Father. We bless you. We praise you. We ask you now to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1, Matthew 7. Judge not. Judge not. That you be not judged. As you read that, be very careful. Because the natural assumption of the human mind is to simply read the first two verses. And perhaps you've had those two words in the first verse spoken to you. Hey man, don't judge me. Stop judging me, bro. Man, you're like you're like judging me. Be careful. Because that neither is what it says nor what is intended. It's not saying don't judge at all. It's not say put your head in the bag and accept everything. It's not saying be tolerant of everything and everyone and every sin and every gross behavior and every injustice. It's not saying that at all. It's not saying ignore the truth. Jesus isn't saying whatever anybody else says and does, you just accept it. 
He is not saying that at all. He's saying something completely different. And it's very impactful. Judge not that you not be judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And so the focus actually is on judging. It's not the lack of it, it's how you do it. It's not that you should never, ever attempt to reconcile facts and figures and truth. It's that if you judge, you better be very careful how you judge. Because the moment you step into the judge's seat, you yourself have declared that you absolutely know the truth, know the facts, and you are declaring yourself to be the grand arbiter of all things. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So important to recognize what Jesus is getting at. Because there are people who judge purely on fact. Can I ask you a simple question? How many of you want to be judged purely on fact? I don't. I get my facts generally right. But at times those facts, I believe I've tempered with love. I believe I've tempered with mercy. I believe I've tempered with grace. Those facts can actually sting. And so if you base your judgment simply on fact, you can very often judge wrongly. Matter of fact, you can be perfectly correct and absolutely wrong. Because you can have all the yacht and the tittle correct. Yes, you were there. Yes, you did that. But at the end of the day, you need to ask yourself the question, why was that person there? Why did they say that? And again, not to judge them, but it is an important part of the conversation. You see, there's more to judging than simply having the facts correct. Our world likes to simply have the facts correct. And very often I find, especially in marriage counseling, it's all about the facts. Well, he did this 12 times, and she did that 14 times, and he did this 19 times, and she did this 27 times, and he did this 38 times, and they have a list. And they come in. And they've already figured out the marriage is over, and here's what happens, and here's why. Boom, 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 done. These 116 things equal divorce. No mercy, no grace, no forgiveness, no tenderness, no gentleness, no meekness, no self-control. And when you set yourself up to judge other people that way, that is exactly what you will get in return. No mercy, no grace, no gentleness, no meekness, and no self-control. Because with the same measuring stick, the same justice scales that you use, that's what will come back to you. And now the remainder of the passage. You see, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck 
than your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove that speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. Fairly plain what Jesus is getting at. We've all got specks and we've all got planks. One day you're going to be the speck bearer. The next day you're going to be the plank bearer. One day you're going to have a little tiny you know, sliver in your eye. The next day you're going to think the ark went to rest. You're going to be on both sides of that equation. You're going to be the one who needs a pair of tweezers to take that little thing that's in your eye. It's been infecting your vision spiritually for a long time. And the next day you're not even going to be able to see because there is such a massive redwood tree hanging out of your face. And everything in between. You're going to on occasion be the guilty one. And on occasion you're going to be the guilted one. And everything in between. You're going to be the one that's seeking justice and you're going to be the one seeking grace and mercy and everything in between. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And so he gets down to the nitty gritty of this Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. And so Jesus' assessment uh, begins. And just like the scribes and the Pharisees, we have a tendency to be judgmental and self-righteous at times, don't we? I do. I'll tell you straight up, I do. Maybe you don't, I do. And it comes in very subtle ways every once in a while. It can be me watching other people drive. It can be occasionally I'll see somebody and make a judgment about why they're pushing a shopping cart down PCH. Anybody else done that? You don't have to say yes. But we do occasionally. You, you look at people and why they say things to you and you immediately begin to judge and you think that you know their heart You have some presupposition that you begin with and all of a sudden you have become judge and jury and hopefully you'll get to be executioner as well. It's a dangerous place to be. Much like our society today, they lived to justify themselves very frequently in that day, at least the Pharisees did. And probably... One of the greatest examples of that is found in Luke's gospel in chapter 16. If you want to turn there, you can. A couple of verses, beginning in verse 15, the Pharisee stood, you know this passage, Pharisee and a tax gatherer went in the temple to pray, and boy, are there two totally different positions and views of self available to us. The Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself, God... I thank you that I'm not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this stinking, rotten tax collector. I fast twice a week and I pay tithes of all that I get. There's one picture. How about the other picture? But the tax gatherer was standing some distance away. 
and was even unwilling to lift his eyes up to heaven. So I can't do it. I, I can't even look at the dwelling place of a God so holy as to redeem me. And was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Two very different views of self. One prideful, arrogant, boastful, pharisaical. And one broken, humbled, and absolutely factual, because every person in here needs the mercy of God. Amen? You don't want to be like the Pharisee when it comes to a view of yourself. That's why the Apostle Paul said, take take heed. (laughs) Examine yourself to see whether you're of the faith. And he would go on to say, take heed lest you fall. Jesus' assessment of those two prayers was actually very clear. Verses 11 through 14, you get a little synopsis. He says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, but he who humbles himself shall be exalted. There is Jesus' take. You see, when you have an opinion of yourself that's higher than it should be, prepare to hit the dirt. Prepare to find the ground come up fast. I was about 19 years old and I was rock climbing in Yosemite with a friend. And we weren't doing a, a big route. We were on a smaller route on the lower face of El Capitan. And we were yeah, maybe 100 feet off the valley floor or something like that. Just kind of diddling around, you know, just scrambling a little bit. And I happened to be the one leading And in rock climbing, there's a couple of things that you don't like to have. One of them is a whole bunch of slack in the rope. Because that slack represents the amount of distance that you're going to fall. And I yelled down to see if I was on belay. And he says, yep, on belay. And I began climbing. But what I didn't realize is on belay meant right then. But it was not going to mean three seconds from then. He actually took his carabiner off of his harness and released me completely stepped away because he needed to use a tree that's the equivalent of a Sierra bathroom unbeknownst to me I climbed another 20 or 30 feet and I yelled down on belay and I heard nothing And I now realize that I have climbed 20 or 30 feet past my last protection point and there isn't anybody on the other end of the rope. It's funny what happens to you when you realize you're going to die. Your arms feel like lead. Your mind begins to swell with this I'm not going to see another day thought. And paralyzed with fear, I just kind of stood there. And after a while, we get what you get in climbing what's called the shakes. And basically, it's the buildup of lactic acid in your muscles. And they begin to twitch and contract. And pretty soon, they become as stiff as rock. And after that happens, you pretty much can do nothing. 
And about that time, I hear, on belay. And about that time, I said, good, falling. And praise God, he'd managed to clip in just in time and grab me. But that 20 feet translated into 40 feet. Because it was 20 feet up, 20 feet back to where you started, and 20 feet down. Pulled out not one, not two, but three of the protection points below that. I've now fallen 60 feet. And I see the ground coming up very, 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 very fast. And I'm thinking to myself, this is going to hurt a lot. That's what happens when you don't hear the word of the Lord when he's speaking to you. The ground comes up really fast. God has a way of getting your attention. You see, we live in a world that prefers that we not speak in truth. We speak in tolerance. We speak in compromise. We speak in false unity. We speak in ecumenism. We, we, we gather everybody together and we say, can't we all just get along? That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about abandoning the truth at all. He's talking about taking the truth in such a way that when you hold the truth, you are careful what you do with it. Because the truth can heal and the truth can hurt. And so he says, be careful how you judge. We have to speak up. We must confront society. And we have to call sin, sin. We've been commanded to do that. So he's not talking about you know, going and speaking to your brother who obviously has got a problem with drinking or is in a relationship or you know, your sister that's doing something that you know is absolutely against God's word. You're doing them a favor. But when you confront them, confront them in love. Speak to them in kindness and judge them as you yourself would like to be judged. Had you done something that was wrong, otherwise the ground's going to come up really fast on you. You're going to find yourself judged by somebody else. You're going to find yourself in a situation to where you're trying to answer questions that you cannot answer. The entire thrust of this sermon is really um, how, how we can complete this distinction between true faith and false faith and between spiritual truth and spiritual hypocrisy. And so Jesus isn't talking about just simply ignoring everything and passing over all things and you know just accepting whatever happens as, as though it's okay. It's talking about what you do in judging how to respond to it, what to say, and how to say it. It's about having a judgmental spirit or not. You might remember that in Matthew 18, Jesus actually tells us to go confront our sinning brother or sister. Amen? That's what he does. He says, when you find your brother in a fault, you who are spiritual, go to that person and speak to them so that you might gain your brother. Galatians 6.1 says much the same thing. And so there's a place for talking to people about real issues in their life. But it says it in the context of winning your brother. Not bashing their character. Not slaughtering their ministry. 
not harming the church that you attend. Not going for the juggler vein in every single situation. Ah, I finally got him. I finally found that one tidbit of gossip. You see, sometimes people actually rejoice in, in finding that one piece of information that's going to finally be the death nail for that person. If that's you, you need to be very careful. Because God has a way of repaying. It's always been such. Deuteronomy chapter 32 reminds us, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. God's got it under control. He knows what to do. Paul reminded believers, now I urge you in Romans 16, to keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances, contrary to the teaching which you've learned, and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. So so we are supposed to be dispensers and very much aware of the truth. But what we do with it when we find falsehood is just as important as the truth itself. God actually warns us. As we judge, be careful because it will turn around. We have to rebuke. Uh, when we find sin, we rebuke in, in love, not in, not in additional sin, not in hatred, not in anger, not in bitterness, not with vindictiveness, not with point to harm or hurt, but with a hope to heal and a heart that says, the last thing in the world I would want is for that brother or that sister to be harmed in any way, shape, or form by what I'm about to say. Paul in Romans 14, verse 13 says, Therefore let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, to not put an obstacle, not put a stumbling block in any brother's way. He's actually saying it's so dangerous that that at times it's actually better if you just don't judge at all. You just pray for that person. You just realize that maybe they got something going on in their life and you don't quite get it. So rather than judge them and judge them harshly or wrongly or falsely or with an with a improper motivation, it would be better to just let it go and pray for them. Sometimes what appears to be wrong is absolutely nothing of the sort. You may not even have all the facts yet. Anybody in here ever judge the situation before you found out all the facts and lived long enough to find out all the facts and then had to readjust your thinking on the matter? If you're a parent, I can tell you, you have. Happens fairly regularly. And isn't it funny when something's happened? It's not actually funny, but it's, it's humorous in a human sense. That so very often when we We find things that happen habitually. We have a tendency to think that we know the motivation for why the person actually did those things. We develop an answer for them. Can I tell you that God himself checks things out before he makes judgment? You have a couple of cases of it. One's found in Genesis chapter 11 verse 5. The Lord himself came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. Now don't think for a moment that God was less than omniscient and omnipotent and all those things. He certainly knew what the children were doing at the Tower of Babel. 
but even God went and actually checked it out before he judged them. The same thing in Genesis chapter 18 with Sodom and Gomorrah. It says this in verse 21. I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to this outcry. You see, the people were praying and God is saying, I'll go check it out. And I believe he did that for us. If a holy God who's completely omniscient omniscient and omnipotent and omnipresent if he makes the case for himself to go and check something out before he judges it, probably a good idea that we go check stuff out before we judge it. Don't you think? I do. But a lot of times we just grab on to that nice juicy tidbit of gossip. We heard that someone said, someone said, that someone said, that someone said. Well, of course that's fact. And before you know it, you've added your someone said to someone said, someone said, someone said. And now it's so far removed from the truth. And and now there's judgment that's added to judgment, added to judgment. God went and checked it out before he acted. And so Jesus is basically forbidding in this, these few six verses, self-righteous, officious, hasty, unmerciful, and prejudiced, unwarranted condemnation based on our own human standards and not on his righteousness. Three things that I want to leave you with. Three things that you can, you can take and you can use them. The problem in this passage are three things. An error in our view of God, an error in our view of others, and an error in a view of ourself. That's the three things that Jesus is addressing in this passage. That error in our view, view of God, do not judge lest you be judged. Think of it this way. One day you're going to stand before that judge You're going to stand in the same courtroom and guess what? Your slate's not clean either. Yours isn't perfect either. Either, either, neither, neither. It doesn't matter. You're you're going to stand in the same holy courtroom before the same holy God and you're going to give an answer for your unholy things. And I'm pretty sure that when you actually look at that, if you have the right view of God, you're going to want a merciful God, a kind God, a gentle God, a gracious God, a tender God, a God who is abounding in mercy, amen, sitting in the judge's seat, not you. Because the truth be told, you're not even going to judge yourself very well. Your information will be prejudiced. And so to judge another person's motivations is just simply saying we we really don't trust God to do it. We need to do it. We need to judge why it is they did what they did or why they said what they said. That's God's job. Can, Can we confront sin? Yeah, absolutely. Of course. Jesus is actually going to go on and remind us that we're to judge the tree by its fruit. That's an easy thing to understand. When the, when the fruit is rotten, you can call rotten fruit rotten fruit. 
When you see someone who's in direct sin, it's perfectly, so it's actually a good thing. It's a sign of love to lovingly say, you know, that's really not something that a believer ought to be doing. He's not talking about that. He's talking about judging why they're doing it in the first place. He's talking about judging their heart. You see, we need to have the right view of God. James actually warns us, he who speaks against his brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, are you not a doer of the law but judge of it? For there's only one lawgiver and one judge. This is James 4, verse 11 through 12. And the one who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? There's only one true God. Only one perfect one. And so we need to have the right view of God himself. God's the only one that's qualified to make a final judgment. So be very careful how you judge. Be extremely careful what measure you use to judge other people. Unless you want to be judged with your own measuring stick. Think back on some of the things that you've thought about people and please do not blurt them out. Think back on some of the things that you have thought about people that when you initially thought them, you had a certain set of facts, a certain paradigm working whereby you judged those facts and a certain amount of knowledge that you could understand given those facts and think back on how many times you, because you're not God, wrongly judged that entire situation based on what you thought you knew. You see, God never does that. He never misses. He, he doesn't, you know, he's like, well, you know, wow, sure didn't see that coming. God's perfect. So leave God, God. Don't try and take his place. Unknown poet from 1730, writing about God himself, says, judge not the workings of his brain and of his heart thou cannot see. What looks to thy dim eyes a stain in God's pure light may only be. A scar brought from some well-fed, well-won field where thou wouldst only faint and yield. You, you see, we just simply aren't qualified to judge fellow men. What looks like something to us may be absolutely nothing at all. Matter of fact, it, it may be the result of other things going on in that person's life. The second thing, an error in our own view of others. For in the way that you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, you will be measured as well. See, most people feel free to judge others because they've erroneously thought they're somehow superior or they're in a place of greater righteousness. The Pharisees actually thought that they were exempt from judgment because they specifically measured up to God's standards. There's a lot of false views of other people that float around. You, you see, Pharisees and, and us aren't too far apart sometimes. And Jesus basically says that God's going to judge us with the same kind of judgment. When we look at other people and we judge them wrongly, God's saying, look, you're, you're, it's going to come back to bite you. You don't want to do it. 
if we set ourselves up as judge of, over other people, we can't plead ignorance once we do that. The only way that you can plead ignorance is if you try and outlove other people. The only way that you can plead ignorance is if you try and outlove other people. In other words, when you see wrongdoing, you take as loving a path to addressing it as you possibly can. And you do as minimal amount of confronting as you possibly can. You look at that other person and say, man, if I was stumbling and falling myself, if I had issues myself, how would I want to be treated? What would I want someone else to do for me, with me, to me? You see, when you have a right view of other people, that other person becomes you. You look at your brother or your sister, you go, man, if that was me, I sure wouldn't want to be castigated. I wouldn't want to be falsely accused. James had that same principle in mind in James chapter 3, verse 1. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that such will incur the stricter judgment. You see, when you set yourself up to teach other people, then you have to keep the judgment that you have passed out. It's one of the bummers about being a pastor, by the way. I can't plead ignorance. I I know what I've said. Worse yet, it's recorded. It's videotaped. People go, hey, did you know you I did not say that. Is that you? Uh Uh-huh. Are those your lips? Yep. Aren't those the words that came out of your lips? Uh Uh-huh. I didn't say that. No, you can't plead ignorance. And so if there's a harshness to it, it's one of the reasons when I, I deal with tough subjects, I'd like to preface them. I like to begin with, you know what? Let's be gentle. Let's be as kind as we can. Let's call sin, sin. Well, let's do it in as kind a way as we possibly can. Because one day, somebody's going to find something in my life and I I want to be judged as kindly as I possibly can given my transgression. You see, the person who's qualified to teach is judged on that stricter basis. Jesus said it this way, he said, from everyone who has been given much shall much be required, amen? You see, it's all about how you do what you do. It's not about doing it, it's about how you do it. We're especially guilty if we don't practice what we ourselves teach and preach. Romans chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says it this way, and therefore you're without excuse. Every man of you who passes judgment for in that you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. We need to be careful. We need to have the right view of other people. We can't judge people as as inferior We can't look at other people, well, they're the real sinners. No, you're a real sinner, and so am I. We need to make sure that we see other people that way. And then it ties into the third point. We need to make sure that we don't have an error of of the view of ourself. You you see, judgment is much like a boomerang. For those of you who have never thrown one, they're actually pretty neat. 
And a friend who went to Australia and came back with this huge, you know, supposed to be this hunting boomerang. And, and you know, and I'm thinking, ah, this is, there's no way you could use this as a hunting implement. And I picked that thing. I was like two pounds. I mean, it was like heavy. And he said, well, you got to throw it correctly. I said, what do you mean throw it correctly? He says, you got to throw it overhand. I go, I'm not throwing it. I'm throwing it underhand. Because every time I've ever thrown a, a, a boomerang, you always threw it, you know, kind of sideways and underarm. He says, no, the guy showed me how to throw it. He says, you throw it overhand like a fastball. I said, that's crazy. And then I realized that that's exactly how you get it to do a 180. You throw that thing as hard as you possibly can, as in in as straight a line as you possibly can. And what happens is the aerodynamics of these two blades, creating opposite low-pressure systems on each side of those two blades, it begins to finally, as it reaches out there at, at its terminal velocity, it turns over sideways, and then it does the whole thing in reverse and comes right back to you. That's how it boomerangs. You see, but that justice that went out also comes back. You need to be very careful because those things can hit you in the head as well, which I did. I was not paying attention. I t- this is cool. Whew, let that thing go. I'm sitting there watching. It's like, shh. uh-oh, whack. Caught me right in the top of the head. Justice is like that. It can be a boomerang. Judgment's like that. It can be a boomerang. You can throw it out, but you better be careful because it may just come right back at you. Self-righteous judgment can become your own gallows. It can be exactly like Haman as he he erected the gallows to execute innocent Mordecai there in Esther chapter 7. And he ends up hanging on his own gallows, right? Be careful. You have the wrong view of other people. You can end up hanging on the gallows that you yourself build. Jesus says this. He says there's an error in the way we view ourselves. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that's in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log's in your own eye? You hypocrite. The word that he uses for speck here is the Greek word karphos. And karphos, you know, to us, it, it, it really is actually more insignificant than splinter. It, it's kind of like a piece of dust. But have you ever noticed whenever you have anything in your eye, it affects your vision? And not just the eye that it's in. Because that one begins to water up and then they start to get out of focus and you can't see out of either eye. All of your vision is messed up, even from a little tiny speck in your eye. And that's why Jesus says it. Putting ourselves in God's place as judge and jury and executioner perverts our vision. We're not qualified to be there. And so even though we we think that our brother has a speck in our eye, our vision is messed up because we now have uh, the log from trying to find his speck. Sin of being critical is just as great as the sin of the person that you're trying to confront at times. Now, I've had occasions to where I, you know, I've had to go back and apologize to people. There I am believing, you know, I'm going to be the righteous, I'm going to go take care of that problem right now. You get there and the words that come out of your mouth 
do not present the love of God, do not present the, the care and concern that God has for that person. It just simply presents the facts. And in fact, my injustice towards them and the way that I've spoken those words to them was actually worse than the offense that they committed that required me to go confront them. I've had some whoppers. I've lived long enough to walk into Pastor Chuck's office and go, I'm sorry, I should have never done that. Oh, Chuck could just look at me. Then he'd start laughing. Done that too, you know. All of us have misjudged situations. You see, self-righteousness is among the worst of sins because in essence, it's a sin of unbelief. It's an unbelief in the other person's goodness. It's an unbelief in the character of God and it's an unbelief in who you are. It's a sin of unbelief. We consequently deny the things that are true in our own lives and we build up the things in other people's lives and ultimately we end up in a, in a mess. Jesus is really saying, in effect, are you going to stop and think about your own sin? Are you going to think about what you've done? Because if you do that, you're probably going to have enough trouble to worry about yourself. You see, that's why he said hypocrite. You know, James adds to this, or in James chapter 1, he says, it's like a man who looks at his face, in a, his natural face in a mirror, and once he's looked at himself and has gone away, he immediately forgets what manner of man he was, woman he was, she was. You see, we're like that. Our, our, our natural view is, we, we look in the mirror, and, you know, as I've gotten older, I realize that um, I probably should have laid off the baby oil when I was 16 years old. You remember doing that? Cocoa butter, baby oil, grease of any kind, anything that was oil. If you lived here in Southern California, you just lathered yourself up with some kind of petroleum-based product and laid out in the sun until there was kind of that little sizzle, you know, when bacon's cooking? Yeah, it's like that. And you look at it and, you know, now there's all these sun spots and age spots and you know, the doctor says, well, we could fry your face and take all those off. <laughs> you did that, there'd be nothing left. I'm all sunspots. But you know, it'd be pretty arrogant of me to look in the mirror and go, man, you look good. No, I look old. That's the truth. The years, the miles are there. You, you see, that's the way we need to see ourselves. We need to look in the mirror and give a right assessment of who we are before God. You need to actually look and say, you know what? Yeah, I got some sunspots. I got some age spots. I got a few warts. I got a few moles. I got missing hair. Yeah, that, that's the sign of miles. It's a sign of age and living. And the same is true in our spiritual lives. <laughs> we haven't always been as holy as we are now. Amen? Think about it. I, I would believe that everyone in here, if you're walking with the Lord, you've been growing in Christ, Yeah. You started out in one place, you're in some place different. So be careful. Be very careful. Be loving and be kind. Be truthful. Tell the truth always. You don't have to, you, you can just forget the truth. 
When you tell the truth and you live in the truth and you act in the truth, it's not going to come back to bite you. And so Jesus then gives us the balance of all these things. This is a person who's got a mind and an attitude like a kingdom citizen. You're poor in spirit, you're humble, you're meek. You hunger and thirst for God's righteousness. All those things he's already addressed to us. A person that mourns over his own sin. Remember that one? You see, when we mourn over our own sin, we're a lot more accepting of what someone else might be struggling with because we realize we've already mourned over our own sin. Then we look at the stuff that's going on in their life and we're going, you know, well, but for God's grace, I mean, I, I wasn't doing that, but I was doing other stuff and it was wrong too. And so the, law, the Lord's command is take the log out of your own eye. We confess our own stuff. Then we can see clearly. Paul even goes so, so far as to advise us there in Galatians 6.1. You find somebody to fall to trespass. They're stumbling. You are spiritual. Restore them in the spirit of love. The spirit of meekness unless you yourself be tempted the same way. It's clear. Jesus doesn't exclude every kind of judgment, so to speak. He's not talking. That's why he's saying, look, it's like pearls before swine. You don't want to do that. You don't want to toss good things. You, you see, in, in, in the, the, the Jewish view of this, in the Judaic view of this, they're talking about the sacrifice that was on the altar. And the sacrifice that was on the altar was considered holy before God. And so when the meat was on the altar and it was being offered before the Lord, when it sat there, that was God's chunk of meat. You wouldn't take God's chunk of meat off the altar and throw it to the dogs because the dogs were considered unclean. You also wouldn't take the pearls, which were considered the prize of all of the Mediterranean. Pearls were more valuable than gold. You wouldn't take your pearls and offer those to pigs. You see, he's basically making it easy for us to understand. You know, these, these truths, these things, we, we need to keep God's things holy. Including how we judge people. What we do with what we say. You don't want to have to find yourself in that situation. Well, I, I treated you harshly, and then you wonder why you're being treated harshly. It's not a good thing. Jesus even went so far as to pray on one occasion in Matthew 11. He said, I praise thee, Father, Lord of heaven, that you hid these things from the wise and the intelligent, and you revealed them to babes. You know, sometimes it is actually that simple, and we make it too complex. God's actually talking to us and speaking to us and he's using plain English, so to speak. He's just saying to us, look, warranted judgment is is made when we find somebody who's speaking heresy or trying to draw people away into sin or they're doing something absolutely wrong and incorrect. You need to face those things, confront those things, but even do that in love. But when it gets down to where you're, you're judging somebody's heart, and their motivation, you might want to think twice. You might want to give them the benefit of the doubt because chances are someday you're going to need the benefit of the doubt yourself. I've lived a long time, and I can tell you I've needed the benefit of the doubt way more times than I want to even recount. I've needed somebody to say, well, you kind of are acting like a jerk right now. But maybe you should just change. And, and they're kind and gentle. And, and I'm looking at it and I go, you know what? I need to be like that. 
I need to be kind. I need to be gentle. Sometimes we even predetermine that someone's too rebellious to hear the word of the Lord. Please don't use this verse that way. Your job is not to determine whether somebody can hear the things of God or not. Your task is to not throw your pearls before swine. Your holy things before hogs, so to speak. You let God do the sorting out. You just keep preaching Jesus and being kind and loving and gentle and peaceable and merciful and tender-hearted and loving towards one another. That's going to be just fine. Bring the worship team back up. And I pray in all these things that we keep a right view of God. He can sort it all out. He's more than able. We keep a right view of other people that we see them the way we would want to be seen ourselves and that we keep a right view of ourselves, our own sinfulness, our own capacity to sin. And if we do that, we'll have the right balance. And we won't be overly judgmental. We may confront sin upon occasion, but we'll even do that in love. And we surely won't be pharisaical. We won't be acting because we ourselves wouldn't want to receive anything other than the same treatment that we give out. I'm going to bring some of the pastors forward. They'll be available for prayer. Maybe you've got something. You just, you got a situation in your life. and Maybe you've been judgmental. Maybe it's affected your marriage. Maybe your kids. Maybe somebody in the workplace. You just want to be freed up from that. The good news is, Tomorrow's a new day. You can leave stuff behind. Move on, press on. Allow that transforming work. Maybe you've had a wrong view of other people. Maybe you've had a wrong view of yourself. Maybe you've had a wrong view of God. It's okay. The Lord loves us. He's a God of new beginnings and fresh starts. Amen. Aren't you thankful he's a God of do-overs? I don't even know how many do-overs I've gotten from God, but it's so many I lost count a long time ago. Thank God they're, they're little things now, not big things like they used to be. But he lets us do do-overs. Maybe you got something like that going on in your life. Maybe you need to start fresh and new. Maybe you don't even know him. You're here tonight and you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Pastors would love to pray with you. The prayer team would love to pray with you. It's a simple thing. You confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. If you believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. Not hard. And nobody's judging you. Because we're all sinners. Make sure that you have the right view of other people, the right view of God, and the right view of yourself. If you do, you're going to be good. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Lord, help us in our times when we're judgmental. and God, we think we know it all, and We forget who we are.
Lord, forgive us for that. Father, at times we, we forget that other people are broken and in need of your care. We forget that we were once just like them or maybe even worse. And so God, give us a tenderness and a gentleness. Help us to remember who you are, Lord, that you love unconditionally. God, you don't set up a standard we can't keep and then mock us for not keeping it. You came to this earth. You, you are Emmanuel, Jesus. You didn't even consider it robbery to die the death of the cross so that you could identify with us. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. And we want to leave you as the Holy One. We want to put you in your right place and never remove you from it. And so, God, we thank you, we bless you, we worship you. Thanks for not judging us on anything other than grace and mercy. That blood that was shed for us, that gift that was given faith. Lord, help us to have that heart towards other people. We bless you, we praise you, we honor you. We ask all this in the amazing name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.